Our first reading is Matthew chapter 14, reading verses 13 to 21. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Thanks be to God for his word. Isaiah chapter 55, reading verses 1 to 9. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that you do not know shall run to you. Because of the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, said the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Thanks be to God for his word. Thank you, Anne. 
And friends, it's really good to be back and to see your beautiful faces. Liz and I have been away for the last two Sundays. Uh, last week we were on holiday. We got back last night. We've just ha had a week staying in a, a little self-catering chalet near Bristol, catching up with some friends there. Uh, the Sunday before that, we were at the Baptist Assembly, representing you all at the big annual gathering of Baptists uh, that this year was taking place in Telford. Uh, Baptist Assembly, what can I say? Been going since uh, about 2000, I think, was probably my first one, the, the, the May after or May June after I was first ordained. I kind of love it and despair at the same time. I only walked out of one session uh, because I found the worship overwhelmingly awful but other than that it was it, it was it was pretty good it's always good to be reminded of the great family of baptists that we're part of and there were some really good conversations uh, i'm not particularly going to talk about this in the sermon this morning but given that yesterday was uh, pride london um, it, it's worth just noting that there is a big consultation going on at the moment amongst the baptists as we are trying to discern whether or not um, if you are an accredited Baptist minister, you can enter into a same-sex marriage. And the consultation will be running until later this year. Um, so, you know, as, as a church which has taken a very strong stand on inclusion uh, and as uh, the first Baptist church in the country to conduct same-sex weddings, uh, I, I would just commend this issue to you for your prayers as there is national discernment. Uh, whichever way a decision like this goes, there are going to be people who feel disenfranchised. Uh, whether it is yes we can change the rules or whether it is no we can't and we need to pray for one another as we try and find a way forwards with some measure of unity in the middle of a difficult situation where people with strong feelings and good consciences on both sides of the argument uh, are, are trying to to find ways of making their views known well the other thing, um, of course, that is dominating so many of our lives and our headlines, and here I am beginning to turn slightly more towards our scriptures for this morning, is the cost of living crisis, which is currently affecting so many in our country. Uh, and I, I do just want to reiterate something that we've said before, which is that if, uh, as, as part of our regular congregation here, if you are struggling financially at the moment and you need a loan to help you over a tough time, you're welcome to have a chat with me or have a chat with Tim, our treasurer. Tim, wave your hands. Uh, so do feel free to come and have a chat with us and, and we, we can find ways of, of helping people over difficult times because it is, it is difficult. Um, I was listening to the Radio 4 comedy podcast, as is my want, and uh, they, were, they were highlighting the fact that at the moment it's almost impossible to turn on the telly without encountering Martin Lewis, the money-saving expert par excellence, who, uh, whose money-saving expert website has made him one of the most valued and valuable people in the country. I mean, he sold it uh, a few years ago for many millions of pounds. And there's a certain irony there that in saving other people money, he's made himself a multimillionaire. But he keeps popping up telling us how to uh, generate another voucher code Pretty much if you want to buy anything from, you know, a new phone to, uh, I don't know, a meal out or a haircut or a holiday, chances are you'll be able to generate some sort of voucher to get a few percent off it. And the net result of this, if you'll pardon the pun, 
is that uh, for many of us, our email addresses have become the registered recipients of a seemingly endless plethora of special offer after special offer. Some relators to things that we might be interested in, uh, some you just have to wonder what on earth they were thinking when they sent that particular offer to us. Well, a quick thought through these kinds of offers reveals a wonderful and beguiling set of invitations to apparently get something for nothing. From the traditional and cliched bog off, you know, buy one, get one free, to the more sophisticated free trials, introductory offers, 50% off your main meal, excluding foods and drinks and starters, there's got to be something in there that you get the money off. We could almost start to convince ourselves that there is indeed such a thing as a free lunch. But of course, it never actually works out that way. And whilst there surely are some great values out there, there's always a catch, isn't there, somewhere along the line. Someone, somewhere, is going to try and make a little bit more money from us if we respond to these offers of temptation. It's always been the case, hasn't it, that you get nothing for nothing. At least that's what my parents always warned me. So, you can imagine the surprise of the ancient Israelites when the prophet in Babylon suddenly started calling out in the marketplace, inviting them to come buy without money, come eat without payment. The normal market stall holders' cries of roll up, roll up for the bargain of the century, cheap at half the price, buy today, gone tomorrow. Can you tell I used to be a market stall holder on Camden Market? <laughs> That wasn't exactly my patter. I was selling Indonesian clothing, but anyway. Um, the normal market stall holders' cries were overshadowed on this occasion in ancient Babylon by this strange prophet and his invitation to buy without money, to eat without paying for it. Eugene Peterson, in his wonderful paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, renders uh, the passage that Anne read for us just now as this. Hey there, all who are thirsty, come to the water. Are you penniless? Come anyway, buy and eat. Come buy your drinks, buy wine and milk. Buy without money because everything's free. Why do you spend your money on junk food, your hard-earned cash on candy floss? Listen to me, listen well. Eat only the best. Fill yourself with the finest. This was the unexpected cry of the prophet of the Lord to the Jewish people in the marketplace in Babylon some four, 540 years before the birth of Jesus. At this point in Jewish history, it has to be said, things were not looking too good for the people of Israel. We're nearly 50 years after the great, beautiful, and lavish Temple of Solomon had been destroyed by the Babylonian King Nebuchadnezzar. The city of Jerusalem had been laid waste, its defensive walls reduced to rubble, and the leaders of the Jewish people, the politicians, the civil servants, the priests, they had all been carted off into exile in Babylon, where they had grown old and died. 
leaving their children and grandchildren with nothing now but the memory of a lost land, city and temple. That was the situation facing the Jews in exile in Babylon. And then these words of our prophet to them to come and buy without money came to a people who had already lost everything. They came to people who had struggled to make a new life for themselves in a land of exile. The words of the prophet to come and eat without cost came to people who had no land, to people who couldn't grow crops, to people who had nowhere to graze sheep or goats. These were people who knew full well that nothing comes from nothing because they had lived with nothing for generations as an oppressed underclass in a foreign land. And in many ways, I think their situation is somewhat analogous to those in our own land who have come here as asylum seekers or those who have been brought here through duress or deception to work as economic slaves in the shadow industries of the sex trade or other unregulated labor markets. It doesn't seem to matter one bit if you were a doctor or a lawyer back home, or whether you were a bright pupil at school, or even the beauty queen of your town. It matters not one bit whether you used to own cars and houses and animals, or whether your parents loved you and wanted the best for you. As an unregistered exile in a foreign land, you can't work, you can't earn, and you can't own. You're reliant on illegal work or on the charity of others to feed yourself, your family, and your children. And we have people who are part of our congregation for whom this is their reality and has been for many years. Always under the threat of being declared illegal and imprisoned and deported. So imagine how an invitation to come and eat without cost, to come and buy without money, would sound to the exiles of our world and our country. You get some idea then of how the prophet's words sounded to the ancient Jews living in exile in Babylon. Into their hopeless situation, the prophet of the Lord dared to declare words of hopeful invitation. Into their poverty, his message of food for the hungry and water for the thirsty would have seemed like an impossible pipe dream, a fantasy, incapable of fulfillment. And yet the prophet declares that these are the words of the Lord. And he says that the invitation that he's issuing comes from the Lord, not from not from the prophet, but from the Lord God himself. This message of hope in hopelessness is not some idle daydream of wish fulfillment. It is an invitation from the living God to experience life differently. And as such, it's one which cannot simply be dismissed 
as the hopeful ramblings of a hopeless dreamer. The invitation to eat without cost, to drink freely of water, points the exiles to a hopeful future. To a time when once again they will be restored to their land, when they will have the freedom to plant crops and harvest them. Freedom to own sheep and goats, to graze their own lands. In other words, it points to the end of exile. The prophet is saying to people who have lost hope under the oppression of an evil empire that the empire will not have this power over them forever and that one day God's freedom will come to them. And of course, you know, from a historical point of view, this is what happens. The exile in Babylon ends shortly after these words were spoken. The new king Cyrus allows the displaced people to return to their land and rebuild their temple. But the prophet's words don't just point to a hopeful future. They aren't simply words of comfort for the afflicted, a promise of pie in the sky by and by. You see, they also spell out the responsibility which the people of God must take in the here and now for all those who continue to find themselves exiled and enslaved. The prophet continues, listen to his words again. Pay attention, he says, come close now. Listen carefully to my life-giving, life-nourishing words. I'm making a lasting commitment with you, the same I made with David, sure, solid, enduring love. I set him up as a witness to the nations, made him a prince and a leader of nations, and now I'm doing it to you. You will summon nations you've never heard of. And nations who have never heard of you will come running to you. Because of me, your God, because the Holy One of Israel has honored you. Seek God while he's here to be found. Pray to him while he's close at hand. Let the wicked abandon their way of life and the evil their way of thinking. Let them come back to God who is merciful. Let them come back to God who is lavish with forgiveness. These words of the ancient prophet in Babylon summon the people of God in all ages to take seriously what it means for us to be good news to all people. Just as the Lord has summoned the ancient people of Israel to the good news of his kingdom by restoring to them their land where they could eat and drink together in freedom from slavery. So also, so also, the people of God today are summoned to continue this task of calling all the nations of the earth to join with them in the eternal journey from slavery to freedom, the journey from Babylon to promised land. You see, this is not a gift from God to a small and select group of people. It's an invitation which God issues to all of God's people and which God then expects them to send out into the whole earth, calling all peoples to join in God's kingdom of good news where the water of life is freely available, 
and where bread is broken and shared by all who come to the table. This is why I added those verses into that hymn. I wanted to try and capture this sense that all are invited to the table. 500 years after the prophet in Babylon summoned the people of God to eat and drink freely of food and water and of the kingdom of God, another prophet in Israel repeated the challenge to take that good news and send it out into the whole world. Not a marketplace this time, but a hillside, not to exiles in Babylon, but to a group of people who were far from home with no food to eat on a hot day. Our story this morning from Matthew's Gospel of Jesus's miraculous multiplication of food echoes the invitation to the exiles in Babylon because it too is a story of exodus from slavery. When Matthew's Gospel tells us of Jesus taking bread and fish and blessing them and using them to feed the hungry multitude on the hillside, he wants us as his readers to remember the words of the prophet to the exiles, inviting them to eat and drink freely of that which comes from God. But there's another layer of memory here too. And Matthew invites us to remember a different and even more ancient story of freedom from within the Jewish history. It's not just Babylon that's in view here. It's also Egypt where God's people were enslaved for generations before being led by Moses through the wilderness on their journey from slavery to promised land. We know this story well, as did the first readers of Matthew's Gospel. Moses led the children of Israel through the waters of the Red Sea and on into inhospitable wilderness, where they were fed with manna and quails which fell to earth in abundance, but needed to be consumed that day, otherwise they would go bad overnight. Truth be told, we don't really know what manna was. We can be fairly sure that quail are birds. But the Jewish tradition was to remember manna as bread from the ground, and quail as food from the sea. And it's here that we find the link with the bread and the fish that Jesus took and multiplied to feed people on the mountain. Like Moses, Jesus doesn't work alone in his provision of sustenance to those who are in need of help. The Old Testament book of Numbers tells us that Moses asked the Lord, where am I to get meat to give to all this people and the Lord instructed him to commission 70 elders to share in the task, asking him, is the Lord's power limited? Jesus has an analogous conversation with his disciples, which similarly ends with him commissioning them to share his work of feeding those who are hungry on the hillside. He says to them in Matthew chapter 13, the crowds need not go away. You give them something to eat. And so the 12 disciples distribute the food and collect the 12 baskets of uneaten food at the end, symbolizing the fulfillment of God's promise to the 12 tribes, that they shall eat their fill and bless the Lord their God. 
But Matthew's story of bread and fishes, fish, fishes, I don't know, bread and fishies? Anyway, Matthew's story of bread and fish is on a hillside doesn't just echo the prophets in Babylon. It doesn't just reference the exodus from Egypt. It also looks forward to a story that Matthew's going to tell a little bit later in the gospel, which becomes a significant part of the life of the community that Matthew is writing from, and which is still significant for our own community gathered here in Bloomsbury today. When the gospel comes to tell of Jesus's final meal with his disciples, it speaks of him taking bread and blessing it and breaking it and distributing it. And so when Christians gather as we have this morning to break bread and share it together, we enact not just the Last Supper itself, but all that comes before it. The Last Supper that Jesus shared with the disciples was the Passover meal. It was the meal at which the story was retold and remembered of how the Lord had led the people of Israel out of Egypt through wilderness, sustained by manna and quail onto the promised land. The Passover meal was a meal of liberation, of celebration that slavery was ended. And Matthew wants his readers to realize that when they celebrate the Lord's Supper together, they are aligning themselves with this great tradition of God's people, a tradition stretching back through Babylon and the prophet calling people to eat without cost, back through the wilderness and the manna and the quail that God gave to feed people without cost, back to Egypt and slavery. This is a tradition of liberation, of people being continually brought from an experience of slavery through God's free gift of food into newness and freedom of life. And so the Lord's Supper, these little bits of bread and little cups of wine, so lovingly prepared for us by Anne, who, who bakes the bread herself. Thank you, Anne, for that. It is a meal of manumission. It is a Eucharist of emancipation. And those who celebrate it do so to receive the spirit of Jesus as the elders of Israel received the spirit of Moses. As we eat together, our compassion and commission are renewed. And we take upon ourselves the call to feed the crowds that Jesus gave to the disciples in Matthew's Gospel, to invite those who are still enslaved to join in this feast of freedom that God is preparing for all peoples. Can you see how the threads of our readings intertwine themselves around this table that is before us. So where does this leave us today as we gather around the table of the Lord's Supper? Having heard 
Once again, the stories of a marketplace in Babylon, of exodus from Egypt, of bread and fishes on a hillside in Palestine. Well, firstly, it strikes me as a matter of supreme irony that the current political nation defined as Israel is involved in a systematic program of destruction against another people group. The people of slavery and oppression have become transposed, and the people of God should not ignore this. So I want to just put a little flag up about the current situation in Israel-Palestine, and to say that there is a better Israel and a better Palestine and a better future for that land than the one we have at the moment. Secondly, it makes me wonder whether slavery in some form is the inevitable end result of capitalism. I find myself despairing continually at the seemingly inevitable commodification of humanity where people are reduced to objects for trading, for use, and for abuse. And I find myself wondering what this miracle of fish and loaves might say to a world that is seduced by increasing consumption. I mean, I have a suspicion that regulated capitalism might be the least worst option we have available to us, so don't hear me wrong, I'm, I'm not calling for the overthrow of the system. But what, what happens to our commodified ideology that we all live by when we discover Jesus giving more than anyone needs? What might happen if the people of God learns to care more for the needs of the individual than for the good of the market as a whole? I wonder what it would do to our models of consumption, consumerism, and commodification if those who have received the Spirit of Christ were to echo in their own lives and communities the miraculous distribution of food on the hillside in Palestine. I wonder what it would do to structures of subjugation and systems of societal oppression if resources were to be shared so that each received sufficient to free them from economic enslavement, whilst those who have more than enough are freed from the consumerist compulsion to multiply their own stockpile ad infinitum. So friends, if you have more than enough in your life, and some of us here are blessed and lucky and fortunate and do, can I encourage you to find ways of being generous to those who do not? I, re I realize I'm preaching to the choir here. This is a church which has some of the most generous people I have ever encountered in it. The times where we have had to go to people and say, we need a bit more money to help this person who is in need, that money has always been forthcoming. But I think it is always worth issuing the challenge. How can we continue to find ways of being generous with the resources that we have? And one way we do that is through our church's hardship fund, and hence I am able to say, if you are in need, talk to Tim. Talk to me. We might be able to help. 
It's where theology becomes real in our community. Thirdly, we who are called to freedom cannot avoid the most difficult of questions, which is where is God in a time and experience of slavery? This is the question that so readily confronts those who are not enslaved and which is so, sorry, which readily confronts those who are enslaved and is readily avoided by those who are not. It's too easy to believe in God when everything is going your way. It's very hard to believe in God or to know where God fits into the scheme of life when everything has gone wrong, when everything you thought you believed in, everything you held dear has been ripped away from you. Where is God when there is nothing left? Where is God when people abuse you? Where is God when people defeat you? Where is God when people take away from you your home and make you live in a foreign land surrounded by those who seek only to do you harm? And yet, in my experience of spending time with people who have been displaced, some of the most profound expressions of faith and trust in God have come from the lips of those who have lost the most. And those of us who have not lost anything in our lives, really, sometimes need to hear those voices from the margins to remind us that faith can be real, really real. This was the question, you see, of the exiles in Babylon. It was the question of the slaves in Egypt. And it is a question with the most surprising of answers because God, it seems, is always to be found right there in the midst of it all. Not turning away from the horror and loneliness and terror, not rising above such banalities, but entering into the depths of human suffering, becoming at one with those who face death. And out of this identification comes transformation, because it seems death does not get the last word on life. The cross was not the end of the Jesus story. The one who goes to the cross is the same one who lifts up his hands to multiply loaves. The same one who lifts up his voice to invite outcasts and strangers to join him at the table of the banquet of the kingdom of God. Come, Jesus says, come and eat without cost. Come and drink without charge. This is all of grace. And how can it be so? It is so because the people of God make it so. We proclaim the inbreaking kingdom of God and then we live as if it is so until it is so. There is good news in the gospel for those in slavery and it is good news mediated through those of us who have the spirit of Christ in our lives and community. The call on the people of God, on all of us who gather around this table today, is, I believe, to repeat the mantra of Moses in the wilderness. 
to reiterate the message of the prophet in Babylon, to relive the multiplication of loaves and fishes in Palestine. We are called to proclaim freedom for all and to live that freedom into being by our own lives. And so I was glad to see that Christians at Pride were down there yesterday by the side of the parade with big banners telling those marching that God is love and that God loves them. Normally, I'd be down there with them, but we were coming back from holiday, so to my enormous sadness, we missed that. But as a community, we continue, don't we, to campaign against injustice, joining our voices with others and together making a compelling sound that cannot be ignored. Thousands of people have recently received a pay rise. Here in London, people who are struggling because they are amongst the lowest paid, working as health and social care workers, thousands of them have recently received a pay rise to the real London living wage as a direct result of actions taken by people in this congregation, along with others from London citizens, to work with the London healthcare trusts to get them to pay their workers more. We did this. This is the justice march that we are on. And we support those who work for peace and justice and reconciliation. We become people who are passionate about other people. We don't just care about our own. We care about those who we have not met and probably never will. And we resist the lie that one human life is worth more than any other as we learn to recognize the image of God in each created being. And so we come to this table. We come as the prophet said to come, to eat, to drink freely without charge. We come to be changed, to be transformed, to become people of freedom, people of liberation, people of action. We come to receive the spirit of Moses, we come to receive the spirit of Christ, to learn once again the words of the prophet in Babylon. So come to this table, to the table of the banquet of the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you this morning for the energy, strength, and fortitude we draw from you, from your uplifting message and your countless messengers, seemingly ordinary people who, through small gestures and simple deeds, show us how to love and how to forgive, how to listen and how to speak, how to be just and how to be merciful. As we are so often confronted with our own flaws, upset by our own failings, we also rejoice at the many shining 
yet unpretentious acts of integrity, generosity, and courage we witness all around us on a daily basis. For in their spontaneousness and candor, those acts make the kingdom of heaven less remote and less intangible. Great are the glimpses of God that we can't secure by merely looking around. Dear Lord, as we reflect on the radical invitation to buy goods without money and without cost, experiencing but also sharing plenty, we are reminded of the importance of developing a healthier, more sensible, and more mature relationship with our planet. Mindful of the fact that while natural resources are limited, our desires, ambition, and greed are not, unless we hold them in check. May the growing awareness of scarcity allow us to make good use of what we extract from the earth, preventing waste, fighting abuse, and giving everyone a chance to live a decent life. For there is beauty in making hands meet, and there is dignity in any labor that enables the most vulnerable among us to keep the wolf from the door. Dear Lord, we realize that many of the challenges we face, from climate change to food shortages, from territorial disputes to racial tensions, from rising living costs to forced migrations are deeply interwoven. And no viable solutions will be found as long as we fail to grasp the magnitude and splendor of your creation in its wholeness. What you made, you saw and was good. You are the one who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You are the one who gave us a bountiful eye. You are the one whose son taught us to lend, expecting nothing in return. May we care less about increasing than stewarding our riches. Resisting the impulse to dissipate what we inherited a long time ago and finding ways to pass it on to the next generations. Dear Lord, we admit we are thirsty. Even when material prosperity and mundane pleasures breed a sense of fulfillment and of complacency towards human achievements in this world. No matter how much money can flow into our financial institutions, it will always fall short of satisfying our deepest needs. For in the end, there is no substitute for your water. Neither trophies nor prestige nor affluence can compensate 
for the absence of the life-giving, saving power of God. And no society, no community, no church can thrive without it. May we recall that he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Amen. So as we who have been honored by God in bread and wine go out into the world, may we think God's higher thoughts, act in God's higher ways. May we take God's message of life and hope to those who need to hear. May we receive from God and give to others the bread, milk and honey without cost. And may we go with freedom into the world to take the blessing of God to those who need to hear. Amen.